everybody. Welcome back to Defenders Dialogue with Kara and Adam. We are here to talk about... Still here. Still here to talk about <laughs> Defenders 38 and 39 in episode number 18, which I like to call Exiles on 42nd Street. Or <laughs> Behind the Nebulon Door. Yes, because this is a really Nebulon-rific storyline that we're in the midst of. You're not going to believe this, car, but before we get started, I've got some notes. How about that? Shocking, I know. I had a bunch of things because I was doing some research and having some fun, and most of these are just expansions on things we talked about, plus a couple of, like, oh, you, you know, this is crazy, but here it is. Wait, we didn't even introduce ourselves. I'm Adam Phillips, oh. president of untoldstoriesmarketing.com, and with me, as always, is... Cardi Angelo, owner of Earth Two Comics in Sherman Oaks in Northridge, California. You don't sound excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough week in comics. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, so we missed the opportunity, so I lost my enthusiasm. We'll keep. Going. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm, more, I'm excited about the comics, though. I'm excited about and the yes. notes. I want to hear the notes. Okay, so the first one we actually puzzled over this when we were on it, but we didn't come back to it. Issue thirty-five which mm -hmm. is the that's the issue that ends with the big Valkyrie Chandu fight in the restaurant. We and love talking it, about that fight. It was great. But the next issue caption said next issue, this, this, this plus the idiot. And then the next issue was number 36 and it's the first part of the plant man storyline. No idiot. Hmm. So I'm sure it just got forgotten or dropped or whatever, but it's like, I want to know what that was going to be. There is so much of that in Marvel comics of this yeah. era. I mean, it's probably around the same time because it was when I first started reading Daredevil. But there's a Marv Wolfman Daredevil story. I think it's probably Bob Brown and Klaus Jansen. Um, Klaus oh, Jansen is doing everything. Those are good yeah. looking books. And on the cover, Daredevil is fighting, I think, Deathstalker, the guy with like the trench coat and the, the white gloves. Yep. The big hat. And in the background, there's a stairway with a little alien on it. And, wow. you know, when the cover says something like, you won't believe the mystery of the stalker to the stars or something like that. Oh, yeah. And the character appears and he just kind of, while the fight's going on, he walks up to the stars. You know, it's very elf-like <laughs> in its way. Yeah. There might even be a caption or something that promises, you know, oh, well, maybe we'll learn more about this character another time. And... It just got dropped. It didn't seem very pertinent to Daredevil, for one thing. Uh -huh. And, you know, and I think, I think I've seen interviews, you know, where, where Marv Wolfman's been asked, and he's like, you know, I had no idea what I was going to do with that. <laughs> of course. There's no answer. <laughs> right. These guys had that confidence from writing tons of comics that they would get there and they'd figure it out. Right. So. And it really was just trying to keep it interesting. I mean, keep it and keep that sense of like, I have to, there's things that even if a story ends, there's something else that's going to happen. Right, right. Okay, so then note number two, we were talking about the Red Guardian, and I thought I'd look up Red Guardian appearances. So Red Guardian first shows up in Avengers 43, big brawny guy, and it's actually a two-parter, 43 and 44. Here's what I forgot, because he, they also said, like, oh, he shows up in a couple of Amazing Adventures issues in the uh, Black Widow stories. And in yes. an Amazing Spider-Man issue that guest starred Black Widow. 
So in Avengers 44, part of the story in that is that um, Hawkeye's been pining after Black Widow and he's in love with her. And Red Guardian has captured them both. And then Red Guardian takes off his hood and reveals himself. And Black Widow goes, oh, my God, it's my husband, Alexi, I think his name is. <laughs> so I completely forgot that in this, you know, in the comics, they, they were married, unlike in the movie where he's her dad. <laughs> or her, or her, her adoptive father. Right? Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah. And the um, Amazing Adventures and Spidey, you know, cameos are mostly like Black Widow thinking like, how I miss Mother Russia and all these crazy people I used to know, like my husband. <laughs> right. Oh, that's interesting. And then, and Stan Lee would have been the writer of the, um, I know Romita used that issue of Spider-Man to um, redesign the costume. Oh yeah, Black, yeah, you know, yeah. Giving her the right. sleek, you know, Emma Peel, yep. you know, with the golden, you know, well, it was Emma Peel, you know, meets Catwoman. Cause the, the belt is very much sort of like, you know, Julie Newmore wears in the Batman show, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That there was that character development. I found that out by reading something on one of the letters pages. And I was like, I did not know that. Or I forgot, or if I knew it, I forgot it. Huh. That the red guardian was her, her, her husband, because the readers are, are reading about the red guardian on the letter and writing in letters going, you've got, you haven't really told us enough about this red guardian and her relationship huh. to the original red guardian, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Now, I know this is a sidebar, but, you know, is that in that Spider-Man where she gets that costume? That's pretty much the first time she had a costume, right? Before then, she was just sort of in a black, you know, outfit. No, she is in. There's a she, well, she's there's an image there because oh, there's a yeah. first appearance. I think when she showed up in Avengers, she was in like sort of fishnet tights. Yeah, and I blue, remember now. And like a. Blue bodysuit and like a big red, you know, and a red kind of just eye mask kind of thing. Yeah. Or, or a gray. It was like a blue gray, you know, scheme. And and, and they did release a, a, a pop vinyl of her, quote unquote, uh, first appearance that uh, is in that costume. Right. She had like a veil, right? I think in the, 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 on the cover of Earlier. her first appearance in Tales of Suspense, she's just wearing like a fur coat and a pillbox hat and a veil. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. just kind the of veil. like a Madame X look. Right, but it's also because she's a widow. Widow, get it? Anyway. Oh, well, that's uh, yeah. I don't know. It, I, that was what I thought. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so I've got one more note, and it's about our trio of villains from issues uh, thirty-six and thirty-seven: Plant Man, Eel, and Porcupine. Yes. We've talked about those for a while, but completely coincidentally, I'm reading Captain America Omnibus Volume Three, which is pretty much. 98% the Steve Englehart run of Captain America from the 70s. And early on in that, Cap and Captain America and the Falcon fight the Viper. And then a couple of issues later, they fight Plant Man, Eel, and Porcupine. And eventually we find out, like a couple of issues after that, that they're all being, you know, organized and, and bossed around by this cowled commander. And it was just... Not a great storyline, uh, but I think they were just trying to figure out how to get Cap extricated from being a police officer. So they made Sergeant Muldoon the cowled commander just to kind of get rid of him. But anyway, they, uh, the point is that Plant Man, Eel, Porcupine, and um, uh, there was one more, 
are all in this as like a little unit. And then there's a footnote there that says, you haven't seen these guys together since X-Men 23. So I look back to that. And X-Men 23 is a Count Nefaria story. Well, he was always putting together, he was always putting together. Exactly. Yes. So apparently, you know, them working together here in the Defenders is not as exciting and new as we thought it was. And it wasn't exciting anyway, but. <laughs> Did they call yeah. themselves the Pep Squad? Porcupine, Eel, and Plant Oh, I wish. I wish. If only. They had cheerleaders. In Defenders, they have cheerleaders. They're oh, the Pep my Squad. Goodness. It's all coming together. <laughs> it was all right. in front of us. All along. I, th- that actually blows my mind because when you're reading something in the Defenders, you presume it's completely random. I mean, at this point in time and right. to discover that these guys actually have been hanging out together in other comic books, <laughs> that uh-huh. it's, it's, it's a, it's a pleasant surprise. It really is. And, but Gerber took it to another level because in the Captain America stuff, at least, and I assume in the X-Men as well, Nobody makes it. Nobody says anything about them being semi-competent at best, right? You know, they're just villains, and yeah. Gerber actually holds them up to a light or puts them under a magnifying glass or whatever you want to say <laughs> to uh, talk about them in relation to celestial mind control, the, the bigger overarching uh, storyline that they, that he's working on. So they were called bozos. Yeah, they were. As are we all. <laughs> So speaking of which, if you're ready, we could get started. I am. I want to talk about this cover. So let me hear you talk about the talk about it. Okay, we'll start by saying this Defenders 38. It has an August cover date and it went on sale May 18th, 1976. And the cover is by Rich Buckler and Joe Sinnott. Do you want to say what you have in mind before we get it or, or should I go ahead? Well, it took me a while to figure that out, but I figured that out from the the, the signature, the B it and the is, S. Yes. Originally, I was like, it's not Barry. This is not a Barry Smith cover. Oh, no gosh, way no. is Barry Smith doing a Defenders cover at this point in time. And then it was like, B, B. And then I had to look, and then it was like, I forget what the, I don't know if it was the, um, the Luke Cage image. There was something about the, not so much the Nebulon, as much as the characters within that told me, oh yes, this is written, um, you know, the ape or something uh-huh. like that. They reminded yeah. me of like, yes, this is this is Buckler, so it's Buckler Sinat, who we're also doing issues of Fantastic Four together around this time. Yes, yes, I, I wasn't fooled. <laughs> Sorry to tell you, I, I I looked at it and well, I think I knew from way back. You know, I just I, yeah, I couldn't place it in the sense that I was. Yeah, sure. I was it was more that you know we've been had such this consistency with like Gil Kane. Or uh, yeah. even like, or, you know, there's been a real consistency. And I think now we're going to see, we're getting into a little bit of a art, art world, art department shakeup at Marvel. Uh, yeah, that's true. Among other things. Because I'm really curious. I don't know who did the cover for the next one. So I'm really looking forward to two hours oh, I, from I, now I, when we're talking about that cover. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to look it up myself. It's a weird one. So um, I, mean, I have a cover... guess, though, so I'll, I'll, I'll guess later. Okay. Okay, great. This cover has a large figure of Nebulon who's sort of holding his hands up and he looks angry and he's, you know, kind of making angry hand gestures, if you know what I mean. And (laughs) within the black shape of his like body where like his, you know, he's got all black, it's filled with stars and the figures of the defenders, including Luke. Well, it's when I say the defenders, it's Nighthawk, Dr. Strange, Red Guardian and Luke Cage 
and the Doctor Strange is in the clutches of this big green gorilla-like beast who is also with his right hand swiping at Red Guardian and Luke Cage is punching him right in the man boob and um, <laughs> the ape boob the ape boob yes that's more appropriate I suppose and this cover it's got two things about it one is of course the ape is com- colored completely unlike the way he's covered inside right. he's green here and inside he's white and the other thing to me is it occurred to me this is the trick Steve Ditko invented with those um, Eternity covers or one maybe cover from, maybe it was just a splash page, but from Strange Tales where, you know, all the action is happening inside the shape of Eternity. It's the same thing here with Nebulon. That's cool. Yeah. You know, it's a good trick. It, it, it is a good trick. I mean, it's dynamic. It's a symbolic color cover in one sense because they yeah. literally don't fight inside of Nebulon. But it's as symbolic covers go, it's a very good representation of what's going to happen. And yes, the and the color change on the ape is probably because if they went with the color that it is in the book, right. it would create more. I mean, there's already a lot of white on the cover with Nebulon's hair and gloves. I'm sure someone just said that's not going to work. It's um, very possible. They also, I think, this, it's also very possible that they didn't know what color the ape was going to be then because the color, cover might very well have been done first. Oh, that's always possible, too. Similarly, again, you know, apes apparently are always good for a buck, you know, at the at the newsstand or good for a quarter in this case. And I remember around this time, maybe a little bit later, there's a the golden gorilla gore or something like that is in a an FF an FF issue. Yeah. Which I think leads to Galactus showing up or something, if I'm remembering yeah, that's a really fun run on Fantastic Four. I would love to have those in books, and hopefully they'll eventually be available. They did some of them. You know, they did a thing of the sure. Fantastic Four by George Perez, but the problem is, is he wasn't drawing it consecutively. Right. So it created that problem where they just ran the Perez issues but left out, like, the Buckler ones. Yeah. So it doesn't really – some of the story doesn't flow because they were – kind of alternating you know yeah. deadline and then, but yeah right, there's probably right. an omnibus or a masterworks coming eventually anyway so the cover says has a caption on it. it says now nebulon has sentenced the defenders to become exiles in oblivion and that's the name well that's almost exactly the name of the story the story is actually titled exile to oblivion yes we could have used that as a title from rocky heart picture show hello oblivion how's the wife and kids oh nice were you a Rocky Horror fan? No. Oh, that's that's uh that was one of the callbacks because the villain says to 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 Frankenfurter, say goodbye to your friends. Goodbye, friends, is what you say in response. Uh, and then God. and hello to Oblivion. Hello, Oblivion. <laughs> How's the wife and kids? <laughs> cool. This issue is written by Steve Gerber, art by Savvy Sema and Klaus Jansen. And you'll recall at the end of the last issue, these three defenders plus Jack Norris were like unconscious in the hallway of the hospital. And now we start out by the pep squad. Yeah, that's right. The pep squad. (laughs) I don't know. The pep squad got them anyway. And um, (laughs) we open here with uh, the caption. There's a caption that even says that you may recall they were on the floor of New York St. Vincent hospital. Obviously things have changed. Yes, it's true because They've been transported to a, uh, a d- different dimension that is um, extremely unhospitable. 
So it's like this um, barren landscape with like jutting rocks and, and cliff faces and big stormy clouds above them and lightning flashing. And in the middle of that lightning and the clouds is the face of Nebulon, who's looking down on them and, sa- and saying, you know, you've disrupted my plans for the last time. And this is, you, you know, you're going to be too busy trying to survive to even attempt to escape. And Luke Cage is saying, this isn't any worse than 42nd Street. He says he's got a lot of comments like that coming up. But everyone looks pretty dazed to start with. Yeah. They're all on the ground and trying to get up. And then they do manage to get up. And Dr. Strange ex- starts explaining to Luke Cage that this is Nebulon, the ex- celestial man. And we've we've uh, thwarted his plans to conquer the Earth in the past. And Nebulon gets really pissed at this and says, I was going to conquer the Earth. I was going to save it. Yeah, man. Come on. Anyway, he disappears at this point, And... Luke Cage is saying, what is he talking about saving salvation of the earth? And Dr. Shane sort of says, ah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Let me cast a spell and we'll get out of here. Dr. Strange attempts to cast a spell by putting his hands over his head and, you know, sort of generating some kind of mystical energy between them, but it draws the lightning down and strikes him. And fortunately he just kind of falls to the ground and is like, you know, knocked for a loop. Um, but apparently, he you know he realizes using magic out in the open isn't going to be very good for his health. And now it's pouring rain too, on top of everything else. So the three heroes decided to go try to um, take refuge somewhere. Red Guardian says, "Perhaps uh, this locale may be more dangerous than Times Square, huh, Mister Cage? Huh, huh?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." <laughs> They find a cave, and they, like I said, they take refuge inside the cave, and Doctor Strange uses a little bit of energy to start a fire, and apparently within the cage, within the cave, he's safe from the lightning, but he doesn't think he can go out and um, use a bigger spell to transport them back to Earth or wherever. So um, they're kind of starting to talk about what they're going to do when they hear a sound from the back of the cage. Cave. I keep saying cage. Blue <laughs> cage. Oh, it's Luke Cave, Power Man. Anyway. <laughs> no, Luke Cave is his um, secret underground lair. Ah, there you go. The Luke Cave. That's a great idea. Why didn't they ever do that? They look around to the back of the cave, and there's this giant sort of Yeti-looking beast coming at them. He's white and furry, and has, he's kind of got a monkey-like face. But other than that, Yeah, more monkey like, than ape in the book. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't look too happy with them being there, and he's big and mean. So then we uh, cut to the hospital, where Jack Norris is explaining to Kyle Richmond, who's still in bed in his you know recovery from brain surgery. Jack is explaining what happened, and they knocked me out too, but I guess I wasn't worth bothering with taking to the other dimension. Which is convenient, because then he gets to explain to Night Dog what happened. And he starts telling Jack, I mean, he starts telling Kyle about celestial mind control and all the stuff and kyle is just like wait what is this because of course he's missed everything having been you know a brain in a bowl that whole time and kyle gets up out of bed and gets dressed real quick and is um he's just gonna let himself out of the hospital screw it even though he's got a bandage on his head he's ready to go um and jack's following him going like but but oh and kyle says here's your transition Kyle says, with your wife still in absentia, I'm the only member of the team that can come to the rescue. Let's go. Let's move. Um, and that's your 
transition um, to another scene, which is Valkyrie and her new friend in the Shirley. In the, Shirley, yes, in the hospital, in the prison cafeteria. All these institutions are alike. In the prison cafeteria, they're getting the hospital cafeteria. I know. I did start saying that. Shirley really wants to ask questions, and she is kind of idolizing Valkyrie because she's big and strong and tough. But that bully who we've seen in the last issue is watching Shirley, talking to her, talking to Valkyrie. She comes over and starts giving them a hard time. And she's, you know, the bully's saying, did we, did we do something to offend you? And Shirley's all nervous about trying how she's going to respond because there's no good answer to this question. But Valkyrie doesn't give a damn. She's just like, yeah, we don't like you. You're a jerk. Go away. And the bully, who gets a name eventually, the bully puts her cigarette out in Valkyrie's food. And then she starts walking away, and Valkyrie taps her on the shoulder and says, "Uh, I think you forgot something, and holds out her bowl of stew. And says, I want you to take that cigarette out of here, which is weird because it's like you're not going to eat the stew after, even after she takes the cigarette out, are you? Probably not. No, but it's it's just still like, you know, show me, you you just showed me disrespect, show me respect. Yeah, you're right. The bully refuses, so Valkyrie dumps the stew over her head and says, I do hope I haven't hurt you. And she says, are you kidding? You scalded me. You almost killed me with this hot, steaming hot stuff. And Valkyrie's like, come on. It was tepid at best, which I, I that's where I learned the word tepid, I'm pretty sure. There you um, go. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. Yeah. The question of what Valkyrie can and can't do to a woman. I think it proves it wasn't scalding because if it was scalding, she wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, we should tell those prison guards that. Right. I'm under a magical spell. You don't understand. But I, but I think that's... <laughs> I, but, I, but I think that's an interesting thing because I, I, she does this and, I'm, and, and, and Gerber tries to kind of justify it in the caption. He says, the answer comes gently with almost loving restraint for Val's magically prohibited from exercising her yes. power on other women. So she's not really exercising the power. She's simply doing an act of physics, which is turning the bowl upside down over her head. Right. Like that's, that's not, that's simply an action that's going to have a result that she can't control. You know, it's uh, not yeah. a, it's, it's not, she's not throwing the bowl at her. She's not trying to, you know, it's obviously done in a fashion that it's not causing her the intense physical pain that, that punching her would. Sure. I mean, look, it's splitting hairs, but you know, it's, it's magic. So it's going to work whatever way serves the story best. No, there are rules. Damn it. (laughs) Yeah, It's true. You're right. And we're going to come to that. The guards grab Valkyrie and ask Shirley what happened, kid. And Shirley doesn't really want to speak up because she's so afraid of the bully. And she sees that Valkyrie's about to be dragged away, even though Valkyrie's saying, you know, speak up, tell the truth. The truth will set you free, and that, but the bully's like, yeah, come on, spit it out. And too bad, she must not have been watching. So they, they escort Valkyrie out of the cafeteria. Then we cut back to that cave where Luke Cage is physically fighting the big beast thingy. Doctor Strange is trying to zap him with the spell, but it's not really working. His spells are very hit and miss at the moment. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, this is an interesting yeah. cut because it doesn't even have a caption taking you into like a meanwhile. 
in another well, dimension. You know, really just go. But it, I guess because it's on two separate pages, you know, it's it's a it's a fair transition. But again, I would have thought, you know, com- at this time, comic book writing one hundred and one would have demanded you would have to start yeah. a new scene with a, you know, but while while Valkyrie stews in her prison, da-da, you know, whatever ah, stews. Yeah, um, no, I'm making a joke. <laughs> I you're absolutely right. It is a little unusual. I suspect. Gerber probably looked at these pages and said, do I need a caption? Yeah, not really. Cause it's, I don't know. It's clear enough. You know, we've had these, these are the only two scenes that have happened in the story yet. And nobody's yeah. going to look at this and go, wait, no, it's, where it's am very I? cinematic. She's doing the other scene ends with, yeah. with someone exiting the scene. So it really right, feels exactly. like, you know, it's like somebody leaving a room in a, in a movie or TV show. You don't have to say you're going somewhere else. You can cut to, the courtroom or wherever else the story is going to take you. Yeah, exactly. The, mon- the, the white monkey dimension. <laughs> uh huh. So Luke Cage is physically fighting him. What was I saying? I can't remember. Oh, Dr. Strange's spell isn't working. Red guardians running up to whack him just to try to get him distracted off of Luke Cage. So Luke can do something, but the beast barely notices except you know, to get a little angrier and uh, wallop Cage and send him flying into the cave wall and breaking a stalactite, which he uh, brandishes as a weapon and smashes him in the gut with it. And it knocks knocks the beast down. And Doctor Strange is praising Luke, Luke for having, you know, incapacitated this, this monster without killing it. And he was, and Luke Cage is like, dude, if it would have died, I wouldn't have been sorry. <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but you know, he he certainly was not trying not to kill him. Right. And then they, they start chatting again about, you know, oh, if only Doctor Strange is saying, oh, if only my sorcery had been working, but it's as if some part of my brain were unable to dot, 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 which is a great little hint of things going on. And suddenly Red Guardian goes, my knee, what's... Ugh! Because she looks down and there's like a bazillion little insects crawling out of the cracks in the ground and the rocks and all over her legs and crawling up toward her upper body. And they're, you know, biting her. There's These are like fire ants or something, only, you know, an alternate dimension version of uh, carnivorous insects. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and that was, again, that was a, a common... Especially like like House of Mystery and House of Secrets type of stories, like yeah, man eating ants were like all over those things, and I always, and sometimes I look at this and go, is this because it was easy to draw? Because all they're doing is drawing like little dots all over her body, <laughs> yeah, not really like arti- fully articulated ants, you know, as far as you can right, see. Right, right. But yeah, uh-huh. that freaked me out. I was uh, that that creeped me out. I didn't like that one. It is, and it, it's yeah, it's it's you can really kind of as a kid go like, oh, I can imagine that. Ugh. So then we cut to Midtown Manhattan, and this time there is a transition caption that explains yes. that for the first time in what seems like an eternity, as it says here, Kyle Richmond dons the dramatic garb of Nighthawk and takes to the sky. Anyway, so Nighthawk's flying out of his apartment. Jack Norris is just standing there watching him. He's not even waving. And, um, <laughs> watching as Nighthawk flies away. And Nighthawk flies straight to the building where the CMC Foundation is, smashes through a window into the building. This is a very fast action. And 
says, you know, is thinking this is utterly insane, but it must be true because the the place is full of people in magenta suits with lighter pink shirts, and some of them have red ties. They all have bozo masks on, and one of them right. says, "He's an enemy of the master. Seize him!" and Bozos all start charging at Nighthawk, who's like ducking and hitting and whatever. And then um, he sees the little man from last issue, who's now in a green suit instead of his beige suit like last time. And the little man says, you know, that's very impressive, but we're all civilized adults here and we can talk. And um, if you're looking for something, just ask. Nighthawk says, where are the defenders, you? And uh, the dude says, oh, that's easy enough. They're right behind this door. And uh, go on, see for yourself. So Nighthawk opens the door, walks through it. The door disappears behind him. And in front of the door, the little man is saying, I've been very honest with you. And because uh, on the next page, we see that Nighthawk is now in the cave, on, in the alternate dimension place with Doctor Strange, Luke Cage, and Red Guardian. And boy, this is... Kind of a mind blowing thing to walk in on or or transition dimensions into on because Red Guardian is writhing on the ground with the ants on her. Doctor Strange is blasting at them on the ground. Luke Cage is sort of smashing at them on the ground, but they really haven't figured out what to do here because it's like, how do you get them off somebody? You know, and like normally, if that were to happen to you, you know, you'd go jump in a river or a lake or get in the shower or something. That's usually the suggested uh, course of action, yeah. So Nighthawk comes up behind Doctor Strange and is like, snap out of it, man. You got to tell me. I need to know I'm okay. Because Kyle's thinking he's having some kind of a mental breakdown. Right, because he's feeling, he's experiencing that sensation that he had being in a bowl of being sort of separated from reality. Yeah. And Doctor Strange looks around and is like, Kyle, it's you. How did you get here? I'm Kyle says, I just came through that door. Dr. Strange says, what door? What are we, what? He, Kyle, I mean, Dr. Strange rather starts sort of reaching around with his hands. He finds the door, even though it's not visible anymore, puts his hand on the doorknob and is able to open it. And they all like step through the door back into our world. Thank goodness. They're back in the CMC Foundation building where all those bozos are. So the bozos start barricading the door with their bodies. And Can I the... bring up a oh, point? Oh, please. Yeah, go, go for it. Because you just called it the CMC Foundation. When I, you know, Celestial Mind Control. But when I read it in the caption, CMC Foundation, I thought, Comic Foundation? Oh, that's funny. I hadn't thought of that. I, I don't know what it would mean, but it's just sort of funny that the the words because normally if this is sort of partially a parody of something like Esther or whatever, you know, right. Usually it would, it would create some sort of, you know, memorable acronym. And this is the first time I saw CMC and I'm like, well, CMC is like comic with the vowels removed, you know, that's funny. Yeah. It's an interesting moment here actually, because the bozos are shutting the door and one of them says, I don't understand. Why didn't the master lock? And then another, one of the cheerleaders, (laughs) It's an interesting point. And one of the cheerleader bozos says, yours is not to question, but to act, bozo. So there's a little hierarchy within the bozos. And I remember thinking, oh, the cheerleader ones who are closer to the master, you know, consider themselves superior somehow. You've got to hold that door. The magician must not be allowed to escape. So they don't even realize it's not just magician. It's, you know, a bunch of them. And then we see 
Luke Cage, Nighthawk, and Doctor Strange are all char going to charge the door, even though Nighthawk, I mean, even though Luke Cage is carrying Red Guardian. They're all going to charge the door. They smash through the door. And now they're back in the CMC Foundation building, like I was saying. But as they, you know, Luke is putting down Red Guardian because he has to face Porcupine and Eel are like waiting for them. And the last time they saw these guys, you know, they got knocked out real good with that gas of his. And you know, Porcupine can't move around very quickly because he's just always taking these like poses. You know, he's always just got the <laughs> wide angled stands and he's holding out his hand or he's pulling out his, you know, his uh, his knockout gas from his chest panel. But it's sort of right. like you don't see him. He's not a very fast moving guy in this giant. You know, well, it's even yeah, Luke Cage calls him a walking haystack. Yeah, he's like a big burly guy to start with. And he's got this um, this heavy. I mean, he's you know, if this was made of metal, he'd be uh, the crimson dynamo or something you know right. it's a big clunky looking outfit that he's got on so porcupine is explaining how you know you guys don't have a chance because eel and, eel and i are more powerful than ever and luke puts red guardian down but she realizes that the transition of going through that um, gateway through dimensions has killed all the little ants who were bothering her so they're just falling off her body now thank goodness which is great because they're going to run into action now and Eel is shooting electrical blasts at them. And then they're all, they all get distracted because that giant Yeti ape monkey comes smashing through the same door that they just came through. What's interesting is because I was almost buying what Nighthawk said, because the idea that they're in this room, that's a doorway to another dimension. I know, you know, Nebulon has all these strange powers because he has whatever powers we need Nebulon to have. He's that yeah. kind of character. Yeah. But I still thought that maybe Nighthawk was right. That, oh, this is just a, he's just playing with their minds because he has mind control. It would have um, been possible, and they, sure. And, but when she comes out and the, the ants drop off, well, that seems to be a phys an actual physical manifestation. Yep. You know, could just be symbolic. But then when the white monkey comes through, then you go, okay, no, they were in another dimension. They that 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 truly was it. But it does really seem a bit odd of like, I'm gonna send you to another dimension, but the door is <laughs> the doorway is right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing one thing we've seen in Defenders and Howard the Duck and like Man Thing and Omega is that Gerber really likes to put strange outre kind of things up against banal you know right the the the, the mundane the mundane doorway between dimensions is just a doorway right the nexus of realities is in a swamp yeah exactly so that's just uh how his how his writing mind works i think that's a good way to look at it yeah meanwhile in the grand canyon <laughs> we cut to the grand canyon and we've got two people who are tour guides in the Grand Canyon taking their own Grand Canyon tour by themselves without all the stupid tourists for once. And they're just sort of having a nice day when they suddenly see a, a Native American sort of chieftain garb sitting by a fire. And he says, how? Like, you know, this is cliche out of some old crummy movie. Yeah, like a 1950s Western. Right. And the guy gets off his horse and is like, what is going on here? I think he's dead. I think this is some kind of a vision, a mystical vision from the past. 
of the extinct Wapiti Crafty tribe, it says here, because <laughs> it's that kind of a headdress that he's wearing. <laughs> anyway, the guy says, you're a vision, aren't you? And the chieftain says, I am what I am. So he's a friend of Popeye's. Um, <laughs> and the guy's looking like looking more closely, like, or it's more more of a close up. I knew it. This is a religious experience. You're going to impart some primitive wisdom to me. And the chieftain says, "You'll be wiser for this experience." Yes, as his head sprangs off. Yes, his head comes off, and the guy's getting more and more scared. And we see that you know emerged from the like green sort of garb that the chieftain was in. It's the elf with the gun. You're not an Indian. You're an elf. Ah, uh, shucks. Blew my cover. Guess that means you win your your mystical experience. Bye, Stu. And, he, and the last panel is, of course, the obligatory blam. Blam. And again, we don't have much information here. And these people don't seem to be where there was a little bit of commentary on the type of people who were the previous victims. You know, I think that they were commentary. You think there is what's oh oh that oh that he's looking for that he's in the yeah. looking that he's the white man looking for the mystical Indian experience exactly that's like a bit presumptuous okay yeah that's that's where I'm, what I'm getting out of it yeah but it also seems that he's sort of in it for like a romantic thing with the other trail you know I don't, yeah, that's it, true it, it seems a little more innocent it's not it, as a build it didn't feel like it was it was it was a build for me mm. but yes it's, it's 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 obviously though touching on as you say something that's going on at the time when when. You know, there was this, um, not quite movement, but this, uh, you know, in the early 70s, definitely, you know, Indian mysticism was a, sure. a fad of sorts. Like, wasn't so that when, um, control. yeah, really, wasn't that when uh, Carlos Castaneda was a big deal? I can't remember the name of the book. Yes. Yeah, I read that once in high school. And, and here's the question too. The um, I mean, does the elf just have really good ears, or does he? He knows it's uh-huh. Stu, and she only says Stu at the very beginning when they are. Well, he's he's demonstrated knowledge of these characters every time. Like he knows their names and things. Right. Well, I'll be so, glad when it's all explained. Yeah, me too. Geesh. Oh, a separate reality was Carl's Castaneda. That right, right. Yeah. Anyway, magical um, realism and all that kind of stuff. Well, it wasn't meant to be. It was meant to be um, teachings. I mean, I don't really oh. remember very well. It's been a lot of years, but magical realism is more like uh, Borges with the you know center of the universe in your basement kind of stuff. Um, Got it. Anyway, th- this is more like you know Joni Mitchell's record. Coyote has some elements of it where it's like, what are you going to learn from these, um, you know, enlightened, mystical native people? Really? Which which is the wolf that grows bigger? The one you feed? Ah, there you go. It's like when you have when you have when you have two, you know, when when you have something like a thought that's obsessing you, it's like two wolves. Oh, uh you know, the the you know the bad thought and the good thought are like two wolves fighting in your head. Which one's going? Which one's going to, to grow bigger? The one that you feed. So gotcha. it's it's just don't don't feed don't feed the trolls in your own head is basically what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah what sure. It is. There's also there's an absolutely fantastic episode of The Simpsons, and I know I bring up The Simpsons a lot, but uh, it's one that has uh, Johnny Cash as a guest voice as a coyote who's, you know, Homer Simpson ends up eating uh, the 
very briefly, they go to a arts and crafts festival and chili cook-off, and Homer is going to eat the the chili with the Guatemalan insanity peppers in it. Oh, yeah, it's a great one. It's fantastic. And it's very much like the Carlos Castaneda philosophy of following like a, a um, totem animal to enlightenment. Yes. Oh, anyway. yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's you know, it's, there's a, yeah, there's some great lines in that one. A truly excellent one and with the, you know, best of all possible Simpsons endings, which is a party. Yes. Um, you know, like a dance party. Right. Anyway. Okay. So cast back to the Defenders. Endings. Huh? I said cast party ending. Yeah. Right. When, when you have a TV show like that, that ends like a season finale that ends with a wedding or a big dinner or something uh-huh. like that. We, we, we always, Susan and I always go cast party ending. Yeah. You know, no, that way you. the last thing they shot, everybody was present for. I mean, if they shot right. in order, obviously they don't always shoot in order. True. Okay. So we go back to the Defenders now. Still no information on what's really going on with this elf. It's very disappointing. But the bozos are running away from this big beast that came back from the dimension. Doctor Strange is zapping it with bolts of and mystic energy. But even as he's doing it, he's saying, I don't know what is going on here. My, you know, my spells are just not powerful like they should be. Have I lost my oneness with unseen worlds? I hate when that happens. It's terrible. I got to find my mojo. <laughs> Luke Cage, meanwhile, faces off with the eel who is. Maybe he saw that episode of What If and it really bummed him out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I only heard about it. I haven't been watching it yet. <laughs> so anyway, the eel's zapping at Luke Cage with electric bolts. He grabs eel in a bear hug, but eel just like you know, electrifies his entire suit. So that's, that's hurting Luke Cage pretty good. Red Guardian, that, that last, that panel where Red Guardian comes up from behind and punches him in the jaw is a little hard to read, but she punches him in the jaw. But then he, eel-like, manages to escape Luke Cage's grasp. I don't know if eels really escape things well, but, you know, we do say slippery as an eel. Yes. And then meanwhile, Nighthawk is fighting the porcupine who's blasting at him with little guns pointing out of his chest. Pew, pew. Like, like from Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> the porcupine is a fembot. Yeah, right? I don't know if you noticed this, but in this first panel on this page, Klaus Jansen put in an inordinate amount of effort into the whole cross-hatching in the background. It's oh, yes. like a lot more than that scene called for, if you ask me. He might have had a, uh, an assistant doing that. Who knows? Yeah, well, it's almost like they're trying to. Well, he's trying to get the room from light to dark, so he, you can have the, you can have the 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 kind of explosion on the left hand right. side on the right hand side of the panel. I but guess the so. porcupine has to be against a bright wall to show off what he's doing. It, it's an interesting technique because the room is literally getting darker from one side to the other. Yeah, it's a little over the over the top if you ask me <laughs> i thought you were going to mention that i was about to mention the zipatone on the, the next zip-a-tone? page really oh i see we haven't gotten there yet yeah so, so nighthawk knocks the porcupine into the eel and they're both kind of unconscious from that because the eel was still charged with a lot of electricity at all you know it's too much for them and they're unconscious now and so <laughs> luke cage says nice job and red guardian says looks like your brain's working 
And Nighthawk says, yeah, I've been meaning to thank you for that. And then in the last panel of the page, Doctor Strange is still fight, trying to hold off that big beast with his little um, zips and zaps of like of mystic power. And then here we are on the last, and there's, yeah, there's your Zipatom. Now that is cool. So the first panel on the last page of the story, Doctor Strange has, it's like a Jack Kirby thing almost where he's, you know, it's a close-up of Doctor Strange, but his hand is between his face and like the uh, picture plane of the the image. Yes. So his hand's really big, and it's got a cool zipatone grade over it. And he's kind of gathering his thoughts and his his power for a moment to bind up the um, the ape beast thingy in crimson bands of satorak, which are for some reason silver here. Yeah, they put red around like the the glow of them, but yeah, they're clearly they're clearly zipatone. <laughs> well, that too, but I mean, they they could have the colorists just could have easily made the blast you know yellow and the bands crimson, which is what they're supposed to be. But whatever. Right. And then the defenders all are kind of assessing the situation. Luke Cage says, "Nice job, good powers you got there, Doc." And Doc says, "These aren't powers; it's just a certain sensitivity to information that of you know." Whatever, whatever. Regardless of that, we've won, and they're starting to leave the Celestial Mind Control Center. And then in the last panel, the beast that was all caught in the Crimson Bands of Zatorak is, like, gaining... He's, like, charging with energy and disappearing. It's weird. It's like, what is going on here? I don't really know. Do you know what's going on here? No, it's just... It's supposed to just be mysterious. I doubt they'll find (laughs) anything inside behind their means to cope with. Although it's like, yeah, it's saying, oh, the cops cops should be okay. You're leaving them with this like giant. I mean, yes, he's in the crimson <laughs> bands of Cytorak, but he's he's still some interdimensional monkey slaughter thing, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's just hard to tell what these the monkey's charging up for. Is yeah. he going to go back to his dimension? Is he going to, you know, be ready to fight whatever comes along next? We don't know. Yeah, it seems to suggest he's somehow getting more powerful or something. It's 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 not clear, and honestly, I, I really don't remember. You know, we're we still have a few issues to go on this storyline, but I don't remember how this if this thing pays off. I have no idea, because next issue, riot in a women's prison or B movies live. So, yep. you know the thing we were talking about last time. It turns out Gerber was thinking of it because he's um, giving a little tip of the hat to those kind of B movies of. The women's prison prison. thing. All right, so we go on to Defenders 39. Can I talk Um, about the letters page? Because I'm reading the the comics. And it's interesting because, first of all, when you think of comics from, you know, 70s newsprint comics, you think, you know, of the primary colors, but ultimately they're fairly dull looking in some ways compared to what you see as the recreation of them on digital and even in omnibuses and things. Because True. you're seeing this kind of pure magenta, or pure blue. So I'm always surprised by that. It's like, oh, the you know, there's kind of a, a muteness to to you know some of it. But anyway, right. in Defender's dialogue, the first letter is from uh, he, I, I think I'm a Facebook friend of his. I don't think I've met him, okay. uh, but you probably have met Peter Sanderson. Oh yeah, I know Peter. And he yeah. is like, what would you call him? He's sort of a I don't know if he's got an official. He's like a historian, a Marvel title historian. somewhere. Yeah, but he's a yeah he's a, he's a comics historian. He wrote one of the books about you know Marvel Universe or something. I think yeah. was his Marvel Saga. 
also. Yeah, and Marvel Saga for 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 as a comic for Marvel, and he's written some. You know, he's he's an expert. So here he is. He is his, um, he's and he was at Columbia University when he wrote this letter. Ah. And he writes he writes about the new the Red Guardian, and he wants to know more about their connection. You know, so that's where I learned reading this letter is where I learned what you mentioned at the top of the show. Right. But here's the thing that he brings up. It's something we talked about, I think, around giant size defenders one or two or three or something. Hmm. He says, you really messed one thing up in this issue. Long <laughs> ago, eternity altered reality so that Dr. Strange's name and his civilian identity became Dr. Sanders. Uh-huh. This is a nearly he's making a joke because he's Sanderson. This is a uh-huh. nearly perfect name and demonstrates eternity's good taste. Uh, <laughs> But in this, in the issue, in the Red Guardian issue, probably because of the the um, the Russian people that he was meeting, right? Doctor Strange is called is addressed by his his last name, but this issue someone did. Oh, it says normally they've avoided using his last name, but in this issue someone does call him by his last name and says Stephen Strange, mm. and he wants him to go back to you know using Dr. Sanders because otherwise he says he'd have to change his name to Peter Strangerson. <laughs> oh, but it's, so some, Peter. it's something that was unclear to us because it was a product of like the superhero masked phase of Dr. Strange. Right. And that kind of ended when the defenders began. Their answer is a few clarifications. Pete, since a number of the points you've raised also troubled other readers. One of these days, the two Steves, Gerber and Englehart, are going huh. to have to get together with neo-editor Jerry Conway, who is now the new uh, editor-in-chief or editor of uh, the line, I think, and decide just when Dr. Strange's civilian appellation – oh, decide just what Dr. Strange's civilian appellation really is. Right. As Gerber understood it, the Sanders name went up in smoke with Doc's very transitory superhero phase a number of years ago. Steve G just kind of likes the idea that Dr. Strange's secret identity is Dr. Strange. Yeah. I do like the fact that it's sort of something that, you know, they're they're sort of suggesting that, that, that's that's, that Gerber and Engelhart may not entirely agree about Dr. Strange, but it is interesting that it just seems the issue is really avoided because how often is in, in this era of Dr. Strange, is he even in his quote unquote civilian identity? Right. Like never. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the Engelhart books, I mean, he's been going through, he's been doing very, like, kind of cosmic, supernatural stuff. He's not walking around New York City. But I guess yeah. it was when he when he became Stephen Strange in order to request Tanya Belinsky's help that he must have had to identify himself as um, Stephen Strange. And I didn't even... Sure, not to mention the, uh, the guy from the State Department, yeah. Right, I think that's who, exactly. So, so Interesting, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that someone was trying. I mean, I think someone, you know, again, I think it obviously bugged Roy Thomas more than anybody, probably. Yeah. But nobody else cared about keeping it up. No. And there was that one story from Marvel Feature Number One that we discussed that sort of pays lip service to eradicating that superhero identity, but doesn't really do it. It wasn't clear. Yeah, there there was like a, a con. It was it was we're going to restore everything, but at the same time there was some contradiction that immediately. Yeah, yeah. it was it was bizarre. It was the one where right, right. yeah, it's like the backup story where he's kind of like walking around yep. New York, right, with that heavy burden of being Doctor Strange or <laughs> anyway. Doctor Sanders. 
co-doctor. Who the hell am I? I don't even know anymore. Dr. Sanders, <laughs> master of the fried chicken arts. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Dr. Sanders strange. <laughs> um, no, that's in the amalgam universe. Yeah, that's in some universe. Doctor yeah. Doctor Sanders fate. <laughs> I love Doctor Strange fate. That was just about the best of those. And you, well, you know my our, our friend Mike Hagen. Yes, who may or may not be listening, but you know that was that he's got the credit for pitching that name to. I think he was working at. Uh, I don't know if he was working at DC yet or if he was still working at St. Mark's Comics, uh. but he gets the credit for. When they were doing the amalgams, throwing out Doctor Strange fade, and someone said, "Got to do that one." That's a good one. It really is just about the best. Yeah, uh, Defenders thirty nine. I'm here. September cover date went on sale June fifteenth, nineteen seventy six, and boy, this is a weird cover. Is it is it Milgram or Hannigan? Those are my best guesses. Yeah, Hannigan. Hannigan penciling. Um, according to comics.org, it is Dan Adkins inking, which I guess I could see. It's just a weird cover. I mean, it's actually well drawn, but it doesn't represent the story particularly well. Where it's like Clea is standing on top of a tower and Doctor Strange is sort of below her, stopping Red Guardian and Luke Cage from interfering with what she's doing, which seems to be making the sun turn giant and red. And Nighthawk is flying around the side trying to come and get her. And then there's a, a vignette of the Hulk in the middle. And Doctor Strange is saying, back, my fellow defenders. Clea must not be stopped. And ugh, um, Luke Cage says, beans, Strange. Beans. <clears throat> she's turning the sun into a fireball. Which is like, okay, he says beans. And also, the sun is a fireball already. He's just making a bigger, scarier fireball. Wow. That's deep. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I don't know if you know this, but the sun is a massive incandescent gas. A gigantic wow. nuclear furnace. Yes. Is that, that, is that a song lyric? It is. Um, they Might Be Giants did a cover of this song, which is off a educational record from the 1950s and it's great the sun is a mass of incandescent gas a gigantic nuclear furnace where hydrogen hey. explodes into helium at a temperature of millions of degrees and then it just goes on oh ho it's hot <laughs> it's very silly i thought it was like a um an eric idol you know the, oh, the universe oh, i thought it was go. the universe song or something like that ah that would be good too um, and then the Hulk vignette has a little arrow pointing at it and saying, saying, and if that's not problem enough, what the heck is happening to the Hulk? Good question. This, this totally feels like we don't know what to put on this cover. <laughs> yes. I mean, maybe it is because the story is basically does almost entirely take place in the prison that, you know, would have been a cool cover to have the defenders versus, you know, in the middle of a women's prison riot Almost like that um, issue in the late, not the year of the 90s, but the issues of the 90s, right? Where uh, 80s, where uh, Spider-Man's in a, in a prison riot. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, something like that could have been interesting. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'm going to take a look right now, but it feels like Valkyrie has not been on the cover of this series in a while. Well, because she's been having this her own story. Well, she that's hasn't true. Been, 
She hasn't been in the um, so so it would be. Ronish, who I'm looking right now. Ronish is 39. She wasn't on 38, 37, 36. Uh, the last time she was on the cover was 35 when she was fighting Chandu. Right. Whatever happened to that guy? I, I hope they come back. Yeah, me too. That was a good story. The Headman. That was a good story. But speaking of good stories, this issue is called Riot in Cell Block 12. And it's written by Steve Gerber, art by Sal Buscema and Klaus Janssen. And it starts with a splash page of Stephen Strange meditating in a uncomfortable looking position. He's like on his knees <laughs> uh, with his hands clasped together in front of him. And he looks like he's in pain. And there's candle. He's like in the middle of a pentagram. There's candles around him. And the smoke from the candles is rising up to form the faces of all the people he's fought, like Dormammu and Baron Mordo and Umar. And uh, that's Mother Nature, who was recently in Doctor Strange, sort of between right, Umar. Right. I can't believe I knew that. Anyway. Well, I Baron remember, Mordo, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely Baron Mordo. But um, I can't re I remember looking at this page when I was a kid and thinking, did they get Tom Palmer to ink this page? Because the wispy smoke kind of looks like him. And I think Jansen's just sort of aping his inking style because it's a Doctor Strange kind of moment. Yeah. Maybe. I, would agree with I mean, that. my guess. Anyway, so he's trying to get in touch with his inner forces and whatever to regain his powers. And downstairs, Luke Cage is going, well, he's been up there for hours. What's he doing? Counting the nails on the floor? Wait, when Got you said him. downstairs, I thought you meant the credits of the book because, because, <laughs> because, first, because, and, and Busema only does layouts. Jansen, uh, yes, the, true. The finished art. And there's two letterers, which is sort of apparent on this page with Luke Cage because the lettering seems different from the rest of the issue. And the yeah. editor is now is Archie Goodwin. Yeah, Archie Goodwin was editor in chief at Marvel for a hot minute. They had Everybody a real a real revolving door of editors um, in chief at that time, Len, Marv, Archie, and then we're going to land on Jerry Conway a little in a little while with some repercussions. We'll come back to that soon in a couple of episodes here, but yeah, weird, weird credits. So everyone sort of gathered in Dr. Strange's lair and Clea saying, explaining to, to uh, Luke that, you know, being a magician, uh, a sorcerer is not as easy as you think it is. And Nighthawks are like sitting on a couch going like, come on, come on. We got to, what's going on? We got to get something going here because we've just been sitting around for days. And then Wong says that Jack Norris has arrived and he's agitated, which is kind of the typical Jack Norris, I guess. <laughs> because Jack comes in and says, I've been hanging around Kyle Richmond's penthouse. Why didn't you guys let me know that you were back and you were here? <laughs> and you left me flat guys yeah really <laughs> and nighthawk makes us some excuses and he's he, he starts talking a little strangely you're gonna see you know using like bigger words and more erudite language and all this and i think it's sort of a result of, of his recent experiences anyway he makes excuses and jack's still annoyed and saying, you know, yeah, never mind that. Where's my wife? What happened to her? We haven't seen her. Tanya, can we get a straight answer from you? And she says, I haven't even met her yet. I don't know where she is. 
And this is the first Nighthawk has heard that she's missing. Jack's getting more and more annoyed, and Luke Cage says, okay, cool off and tell us the story. So Jack sort of gives us the flashback to the fight between Valkyrie and Shandu and how Hulk helped him and Aragorn out, but but you know, then Hulk took off and we haven't seen Valkyrie since. That's basically it. Right. Um it's been two days since I've seen hide or hair of Val. And Red Guardian is saying, There's a lot of stuff going on here and it's crazy and I can't believe how many superheroes there are running into each other all the time. It is very different from where I come from. And Nighthawk, this is what I was talking about. Nighthawk says, indubitably a consequence of the widespread availability of advanced technology in a capitalist society. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Next, could you tell us about the square root of the hypotenuse or whatever? <laughs> and Jack says, look, this is all a lot of fun, but can we please do something? Valkyrie, you know, could be in danger. But he's also basically saying the reason, because she's saying we don't have a lot of superheroes in Russia and he's saying it's because you don't have private technology creating all sorts of cool gadgets. <laughs> that's, that's, why, yes. that's why we have superheroes here. Cause, cause Reed Richards, you know, exposed his friends to cosmic radiation on his own dime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Nighthawk takes command here and he sends Red Guardian and Luke Cage to go start making some, f- actually it sends them. It's sort of backwards in the way the panel is drawn and the way Nighthawk says it. Luke and Red Guardian are going to start pounding the pavement to find leads and uh, start in Midtown and where Val and Chandu fought. Jack, you get on the phone, start calling the hospitals because we don't know where she is. And uh, Luke doesn't love being ordered around, but he he goes along with it. And then Nighthawk's about to leave via the window. And Jack's like, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? You know, we're, we're all helping here. What are you doing? And Jack says, I've got a couple of hunches of my own that I'm going to check out, but don't worry about her too much. She's very tough, and she's undoubtedly not helpless, no matter where she is. And Jack's kind of, you know, dialing the phone while thinking, like, you know, anything could happen. That's what they said about Amelia Earhart, too. So, <laughs> he's not wrong. And, you know, there's some inconsistency. Was, this was bothering me, because I love Klaus Jansen, but there was kind of an inconsistency between, like, no. he hasn't settled on what does Jack Norris look like oh. in these changes. <laughs> yeah. His, like, no size kind of changes. He, he hasn't His hairline. Fully, yeah, he hasn't fully grasped, you know, the, the Salvia Sema haircut. I'm always happy when I actually, you know, my hair's long enough that I actually get a really solid Salvia Sema flip. That happened a lot during COVID <laughs> when, when haircuts <laughs> were, were hard to get. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, wow, I look like a Salvia Sema character. Um, yeah, I used to have that kind of flippiness to my hair when I was a kid. I, I hear you. And and you're right. It, it is inconsistent. Yeah, I don't know if he's trying to go for like a Brando look, like he's trying to make, I don't know, him look like, like less sophisticated than Kyle Richmond or something like that. I don't know, but I, I think you're right. So then we cut away from Dr. Strange's mansion to the prison where Valkyrie is being brought into the warden's office. She hasn't had a trial yet or anything, but they're sure treating us like she's already in prison. Anyway, <laughs> the guards leave Valkyrie alone with the, the warden, and the warden is saying, like, you know, we hear you're being disruptive, and a lot, you know, this is your first offense. You can't, you, you know, you could 
take care of yourself better if you just cooperate and then the tougher gals won't mess up your pretty face basically and he's putting it putting his hands on her shoulders like he's coming onto her kind of he's making the moves he's starting to make that move yeah she knocks his hands away picks him up by his necktie and throws him across the room and says you know you repulse me i'm your captive not your plaything and i'll respect your position because i at this present at present i have no choice but if you fondle me ever again you shall likely not live to regret it and the you know hearing the noise of the guy flying across the room the guards bust back in the place and the warden is saying grab her i want to make an example of this one take her to the high power block and put her to work whatever that means the high power block yeah that that was that was a phrase that didn't immediately uh come through yeah i don't know what that means quite uh, so let me cut to Times Square, where Red Guardian and Luke Cage are wander- walking around looking for clues. And it's a, gr- it's a pretty great scene because, of course, Red Guardian is kind of going, what is this place, you know, that you- this is what you call home? This place is horrible. It's depraved and squalid. And, every- and Luke sees someone from the back who looks like she could be Valkyrie because she's got hair in braids like her. But it turns out it's, no some uh, strung out probably a prostitute to tell you the truth anyway he says nope sorry my mistake and a guy who's with her starts giving luke a hard time and threatening him and calling him you know black this and black that and and other slightly racist uh things luke grabs his hand and says you know back off man while you still can the guy pulls a knife on Luke, and of course it breaks against his his chest. And then the Red Guardian gets between Luke and this dude, and she hits him in the the midsection and knocks him down and whatever. It's it's a lot of space for not much happening there, other than Red Guardian getting to see what Times Square looks like. <laughs> you know, there you go. Yeah, there, there's a. Uh... And again, not a scene you could put on the cover. So I understand their problems so far. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And then we cut back to the prison where the warden is telling Valkyrie, start scrubbing that floor. I want to see it shine. Spend all night if if you have to. But when I get back here, it better be perfect. And Valkyrie's like, screw you, buddy. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not doing it. And in the cell, all the women are clapping and, you know, woo-hooing. And the warden says, I want to tolerate this insubordination, young woman, especially not in view of the other prisoners. Now get down. And Valkyrie's had enough, and she punches him in the face. And I told you, you you know, you're not allowed to touch me now. You know, you're paying the price. And uh, the warden says, that's it. Put her in solitary. Take her away. And all the other prisoners are booing at this. They throw Valkyrie in a solitary cell. And for a moment... She's thinking, at last I have peace, at least. You know, I'm not being bothered by all these other people. I don't think it's going to last very long. Yeah, and it's also, it's kind of restorative in the sense of, you know, her... Yes. You know, not being, you know, not that other women are sapping her energy, but certainly not, you know, not having to be in a defensive posture with all these women that she can't even really fight with seems to at least be giving her some kind of chance to sort of recharge her battery metaphorically. Agreed. So then we see Nightwing, who has flown, I guess, up to Connecticut and sees that the house where the 
headmen were is destroyed the the their headquarters so there's nothing he can get out of that so he's gonna have to go back um and he's wishing that dr strange was available to help but right. you know he's so insistent about the inviolability of meditation <laughs> and then less than one page later we're back to valkyrie in the prison in the solitary cell and apparently she's ready to get out now because she sees a rat What's the purpose of the the is the headman scene there just to kind of again sort of just touch base with the headman? Yeah, I think so. They're not immediately so. involved. They're they're removed as suspects, you know, for this Valkyrie disappearance. I kind of think so. Okay. Yeah. And it's also just to give, you know, Nighthawk only has like two stops to make in this story, or and right. and the second one is the right one. So the first one has to be the wrong one. That's true. That's 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 storytelling. Yeah, yeah. That's a plot. That's a plot for you. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, so back to Valkyrie in solitary, and suddenly she's thinking, you know what? I don't like solitary. I changed my mind. There's a rat <laughs> in the cell. Yuck. <laughs> she gets up, and she starts slamming her shoulders against the uh, big heavy door, and on the second try, it breaks down. Because she's, you know, she's very tough. And she is leaving the cell and hears the sounds of a commotion. What's going on? Demons of the Norn! No! Because on the next page we see that somehow all the prisoners have gotten out of their cells and are holding the warden hostage. And they've all got like lead pipes of some kind in their hands as weapons. And our big bully from the last couple of issues is sort of the ringleader of this whole thing. And she's saying, Val was a favorite of us girls. And tossing her in the hole was, and Valkyrie's there. She interrupts and says, it was my ordeal and mine alone. Um, and I shan't be made a cause, bullish one, especially not yours. Right. And Valkyrie finds Shirley, who explains that we're finally going to get some justice here because um, we, we managed to get out. And then we cut in the middle of the page, <laughs> Kyle Richmond not in his Nighthawk costume now, but with his <laughs> his bandage on his head, which is completely unexplained, is talking to the police commissioner and saying, what, you know, she's in the women's detention facility. Why? And what charge? Kyle says. And the commissioner saying, wholesale destruction of property, they tell me. I can't, you know, I what do you want me, me to do? I didn't know you knew her. And I can't be on top of every arrest that takes place in the city. If you want to post bail, you can get her out of the, the 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 pokey almost immediately. I wanted I wanted him to say something like, "I I'm a police commissioner, not a babysitter, Kyle." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and just at that moment, his phone rings, and he picks it up and and says, "Oh God, no!" And then he says to Kyle, "There might be a slight delay because, of course, he's just getting the word that there's a a riot going on at the prison at the very same prison we were talking about." And he's also wearing moment. he's also wearing these funky octagonal tinted glasses. Oh yeah. Which is just really like a strange, I guess, just to make sure we don't confuse him with horn rim glass wearing Commissioner Gordon or something like that. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it is odd. It's like a strange detail. Like if you're gonna put dime into something octagonal. It is a weird just it is a weird decision. I suspect that's gonna be one of those like, you know. Savvy Sam was drawing along going, let's see, he's an old guy. He's, you know, a paper pusher. He should be wearing glasses. What kind of glasses? I know. 
I just saw that record, Walls and Bridges, and John Lennon's wearing octagonal glasses on the front. Right. Or something. I that That's the one where he's got like six pairs of glasses on. And one of them um, must be octagonal. I, I think one of them was, yeah. So then we cut to outside the prison where reporters are reporting and explaining how the guard, the warden's being held hostage and uh, three guards are there. And inside we see the bully who still hasn't gotten a name, but I think any minute now um, is on the phone explaining their demands that they got, you got to do something about the rats and we need an exterminator or else we're going to start doing some exterminating ourselves. There's a line for you. Yeah. Right. The prisoners are destroying, like tearing papers out of file cabinets and Valkyrie sort of explained to Shirley how I could have ex- I could have escaped at any time, but I wanted to avoid a riot and I wanted everyone to be safe. And Shirley's explaining how, you know, yeah, it's easy for you to say, I've been in this place for a year and I had to go through heroin withdrawal with no doctor and with no help and with rabid rodents around my bed while I'm trying to sleep at night and my trial keeps getting put off and whatever. And, you know, she's she's not wrong. And this is a pretty good social justice moment for the story, which... We haven't seen too much of lately. And so Valkyrie decides she's got to get involved. And she walks into where the bully was making that phone call and says, I'm going to make a phone call now. Since I'm such a favorite of the women, I think I should be allowed a phone call. And bully says, yeah, no chance. I'm in, I'm the official spokesman for this bunch. And Valkyrie says, well, I'm not going to be in the bunch. I, I Nobody talks for me. And I need to make that phone call. And the bully punches her straight in the gut to tell her to back off. But of course, it's Valkyrie's plenty strong and, you know, she doesn't even blink. And the bully's like shocked by this and says, uh, I, I must have pulled my punch. <laughs> Valkyrie says, no, you tried it with all your might and you didn't even cause me to budge. Now, please stand aside. I'm going to make this call. I've got some influential friends. And oh, here's her name, Felicia. Oh, yeah, yes, actually Felicia. on the previous page, Shirley calls Was her it? Felicia. Yeah, oh, you're not it. going in there, not before Felicia gives the okay. Oh, there you go. You're right. But it's not as clear because you, you you know, but yes, Felicia being the boss. But right. also, again, another rule twist on, on the magic spell uh-huh. that governs Valkyrie's powers. <laughs> Just because she can't hurt a woman, it doesn't mean a woman can hurt her. She is well, still invulnerable to the force of of felicia's punch i mean i think she's just that strong it's not a i don't think it's necessarily a magical thing i thought you were going to say like do you know what if she hurt accidentally hurts felicia's fist with her tough abs well technically that's kind of what you know <laughs> that's what I mean. but there's sort of just the difference between passive and active i don't know i like i say i just you know it, it's uh-huh. it's fun that he's willing to play with doing this because it seems sometimes it's been used to just make Valkyrie a weak character and he's actually figuring out ways to make her a clever character. Yes, which is great. Uh, This is a fantastic scene we're coming right up to because the other prisoners say, yeah, Felicia, let her make that call. You don't want anyone stealing your thunder? Is that it? And Felicia's like, we don't even know who she's going to call. She could be a, a plant this whole time. Or maybe, and then she said, picks up a knife and says, maybe I should just eliminate the competition. She's going to attack Valkyrie with a knife. Except, first, we've got to have this scene, which is closest as we're going to get to the cover scene, I believe. Oh, my God. 
this is kind of it. Jack, Clea, Luke Cage, Red Guardian, and Nighthawk are all standing around on a roof outside, right in the area, and looking down and saying, you know, how do we help this with this prison situation without shooting off, a, without touching off a panic? And Jack is like, that doesn't stand a chance in there if things get ugly. I'm not sure that's true, but that's what he thinks. We need a diversion. Clea, and Clea uses her powers to make the sun seem to like explode into a fireball in the sky and everyone's getting blinded outside the prison and then red guardian nighthawk and uh, luke all jump run and swing down to the prison and luke cage is uh crashing his way into the door of the prison because you know there's no gates or anything he just he just sort of enter and he's a little put off at the idea of breaking into a prison, but he's going to do it. <laughs> and then we're cut cut back to where Felicia is swinging that knife at Valkyrie, and um, she's just sort of dodging out of the way. And Valkyrie's trying to figure out what to do, so she decides to stand there and let Felicia charge her. She ducks out of the way, and Felicia crashes into the wall and hurts herself a little bit. Felicia gets up, grabs a chair, and is going to smash Valkyrie over the head with it. Valkyrie grabs one of the legs of the chair and swings it, with Felicia still holding on tight um, across the room and into, you know, a wall where she's knocked out. And I have questions about why you would not let go of that chair, but whatever. (laughs) Anyway, Valkyrie is, you know, has, has defeated Felicia without hurting herself because she could evade, you know, she says, thinks I could evade a knife, direct the motion of a chair, but not dot, dot, dot. And then suddenly in burst red guardian, Luke Cage and Nighthawk. And they see Valkyrie and say, we got you. You're okay. And Valkyrie, <laughs> the, the prisoners are going to attack. Really, Val- they don't do anything to help. Do they? <laughs> no, they do not. <laughs> the prisoners are going to attack these heroes and say, it's a carload of superheroes. Because, you know, we were too tough for the regular cops. And then Valkyrie says, no, 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 these are my friends. They're coming to help us. And then the, the story's basically at an end that uh, Luke Cage and Red Guardian are sort of talking about, you know, Luke is saying how I wouldn't have wanted to fight all these gals. And Red Guardian says, yeah, imagine what would have happened to your pride if they won. Huh, take that. <laughs> And then, you know, just at the end, they they promise that they're going to do everything they can to help in improving the prison conditions. The end of this story. Next issue. Political and practical jokes. The Hulk goes to the movies. Plus Pride, Prejudice, and The Assassin with no name. That must be the elf. It is not. Oh. You don't remember this issue? Can I make a very bizarre observation about this issue? Oh, please. Okay, parallels with parallels between this issue and a certain other work. Well, first yeah. of all, we have a scene right where a a uh, man dressed like a flying creature of the night yeah. arrives with a female superhero who has derived her identity from a previous superhero from another era. They come to break their friend out of prison, and what does this friend? in prison say earlier where's the um when when she's when she's in uh what do they call it uh 
confine solitary confinement. She says, or she thinks she's not locked in. They're locked out. Oh yeah. So there's a weird watchman vibe here. You know, Rorschach's classic phrase is, you know, you're not, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Yes. Um, It's, you know, and, and, and then you have night, you have that, you have um, Night Owl, not Nighthawk, and Silk Spectre, yeah. who is also a second generation uh, version of another superhero, you know, breaking in to, to rescue their friend. So clearly, there would be no Watchmen without Defenders. <laughs> well, maybe because <laughs> there might be some other influences, and one of them I was going to mention is. I found this out not that long ago, but Susan Storm uses almost that exact same, I'm, you're not locked in here with me, or I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in here with me, to Doctor Doom in like Fantastic Four, I believe, 16. Wow. Yeah, which is crazy. Maybe, I mean, is it, well, if, if, if Stan Lee and Alan Moore used it, <laughs> I'd probably have to argue that neither of them came up with it. <laughs> but that's yeah. just me. And they're two of my favorite people. Yeah. This is the the point in the Fantastic Four where they were trying to build Sue Storm up to, you know, have a little more power and, and agency in the stories. Right. Anyway, I, I know what you mean. And it is, there are a lot of parallels here for sure in, in a lot of ways. No, it's just an interesting idea because we were talking about, but I was trying to think of other, you know, but when we were talking last time about, oh, other superheroes in prison we were thinking i think of the mainstream heroes like the times batman's been in a prison or captain america or spider-man i guess some of those would come later in the 80s and 90s but but then that line reminded me of like oh watchman watchman is the most famous superhero in prison sequence probably ever and it's kind of similar which is the riot starts before the rescuers get there right it's true Although, well, what's the name of the guy in the, 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 he's the small, is it Mr. Big? The, who, the guy who's taunting Rorschach? Oh, I don't recall. He's like a, he's like a, he's like a tiny guy, but he's called Mr. Big or something like that. But I guess he's, would be the stand-in for, for Felicia. (laughs) I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what I, I almost forgot to mention, by the way, in issue 38 that we started this episode with yes they changed the way they're coloring nebulon he's no longer just orange he's more like white with yellow highlights kind of thing well like that was also wasn't that when he was just a head we never saw him as a being well that's true it is just a head here but i think that sticks around although the cover he's orange uh yeah we'll have to see when he comes back i don't think you're right but but seriously, it does make you look at this cover, though. I mean, Ed Hannigan, right, was becoming like an in-house kind of – he was an on-staff kind yes. of art director guy. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it's such a cheat of a cover in so many ways. Um, <laughs> but also, the thing about the Hulk, I guess you do find out what the Hulk's been up to because they do a flashback to previous <laughs> issues with the Hulk. But the Hulk isn't really in the issue. No, he is not. I think um, they were just desperately trying to say, can we get the Hulk back in this comic somehow? Because I, I, yeah. like you said last time, you know, the Hulk's going to be in on a TV show pretty soon. He's 
getting to be a more popular character. Certainly among these characters, he's the most popular. Oh yeah, and yeah, he's soon gonna right. They're still gonna start putting Marvel's TV sensation on all the on all the covers. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, it's, it's true. If it's it's one of those, and it does make me wonder if perhaps there is somewhere you know a Gil Kane or somebody else. You know, I mean, or maybe it's just again the hecticness of going from. Yeah, I think between Archie Goodwin's the editor of this issue, I think was Marv the editor of the pre- I mean, you know, I think Marv was still the editor of the previous issue. Yeah. They're talking about Jerry Conway coming on. There's so much chaos. It's also possible uh-huh. nobody nobody looked at the plot or the issue and said there's really not, you know, this isn't a cover we want to do. Or Gerber figured, well, you're going to do – I'm sure Gerber would have wanted to do Valkyrie fighting – you know, you know, Valkyrie in a prison riot, but yeah, that would have been awesome. I'm going to commission, I'm going to commission an artist to draw that alternate cover. Well, let's get Sal Buscema to do that. Uh, I'll pitch in. I was going to, there's an old friend of mine, Tom Morgan, who was a a Marvel artist and now he works in animation and, you know, he does a lot of that kind of stuff um, as commissions. Oh, the recreations or or covers that never were well, kind of thing. like he did a, a he posted the other day a, a commission Shang Chi cover where he's fighting the Mandarin. It's like yeah, that that would have been cool, and uh, yeah, it looked great. So he could do that in a heartbeat. That would be that would be wild. Nothing exciting on the letters page for um, issue thirty eight or thirty nine. Nah. So okay. All right. Well, gee, we've. Uh, Come to the end, I believe. And we've yeah. also come to the end of Valkyrie's, you know, prison journey or whatever, which well, probably a good thing. And next time we're we're doing issue thirty nine, but then we're also doing the like double size. No, we, we did just do thirty nine. Next oh, time we do forty and the annual. And the annual, yes. And sadly, we are really coming down to the end of uh Steve Gerber's run. Yeah, everything is comes together again. I'm really I, I have not jumped ahead. I've tried to do this in a, you know, I'm working off a of memory on some things of like, do I remember what happened? But yeah, just, this is still very exciting. I, I remember being right. disappointed at the covers around this time because they were kind of like bland and not representative. <laughs> yes. I remember this cover bothering me at the time. And uh, and even now, I kept flipping when you were talking about the cover. I'm flipping through and going, I remember reading that scene, but where is it? And it literally is one panel of yeah. It was a hard one for them to figure out. And also, it's like, oh, by the way, on the cover, Doctor Strange is part of the scene, and he's not in the issue except for page one. Right, and why? And it, again, it just feels it feels like things are just being tugged a different way. Yeah, why? Oh, he's meditating, but is it really? You know, it's it's. It's it's strange, is what it is. But I guess it if is. he was there, if he was there, and they had, it's either he has his mystical powers or he doesn't. He's trying to solve this problem, so you want to get him off stage. I mean, Doctor Strange and Hulk are off stage. It's almost like, hey, can we do an issue without, you know, yeah. proof of concept? Can you do a story without Hulk and Doctor Strange? Right. It's a good story, but it but it, it doesn't. Is. But then then they have a cover where they have to put Hulk and Doctor Strange on it when they're not in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to give anything away because you said you haven't been looking ahead, but uh, next issue is similar in in that in in a certain way to that. That it it you know it's a story that focuses almost entirely on a character or two and leaves out a lot of the other ones. Right. 
All right. Well, until next time. Defenders Dissemble. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, please subscribe. Please leave us a review. Somebody's got to leave us a review. I know people are enjoying this podcast, but if you um, say so on your podcast platform of your choice, it will help us be more visible to the world. So please leave reviews. And uh, thanks for listening. We will see you all again next time. Superhero. Uh, I'm